Welcome to Finding the Keys, Conversations on Self-Care for Parents. I'm your host, therapist and coach, Dr. Christine Forte-Klotz. Finding the Keys is not your typical parenting podcast. You won't find instructions or advice here on how to raise your kids. Instead, this podcast is about you as a parent, as a person. We cover real-life practices for managing overwhelm, taking care of our health in mind, body, spirit, and embracing the chaos along with the joy that parenting brings. Through the interviews and insights shared, we navigate finding the keys to balance in life, work, and beyond. So join me. Let's get started. On today's episode, we're going to talk about change. One of the most freeing and terrifying things that we can come to terms with in life is the impermanent nature of absolutely everything. And I've been thinking quite a bit on this recently as a parent, the never-ending nature of changes and transitions. They never stop. They never take a break. When our children are tiny, we hear oh, they grow up so fast, everyone's always telling us this, and at the time, it doesn't quite seem that it will be true. There's, you know, this period at the beginning of parenting where time can feel like it's it's moving so slowly, but also flying by. There's sort of these fits and starts to time. And then, little by little, though, we do see it happening, and we start to believe, oh, yes, it does happen fast. There are all these changes. And so to truly get into the flow of life, I think we have to learn how to embrace changes and the continual occurrence of change. Even though, as we'll talk about today, this isn't always fun in the traditional sense of the word. We're joined on this episode by Rich Watkins, who is himself something of an expert in exploring and understanding change, and he'll share with us some of his personal experiences with change in his identity development as a father, and how this has been informed by some of his professional experiences working in leadership development, in guiding teams through change, and vice versa. He shares about how his fatherhood journey has also informed some of the ways he thinks about change overall. Rich has some of his career roots if you will, in working with organizations on innovation. So he isn't afraid to ask the tough questions, to self-examine or to look at things from another direction. Hi, Rich. Thank you so much for joining us here today on the show. I'm really excited to talk to you about, you know, some of the crossover between your work in leadership development and in helping teams with change and kind of what you've noticed about that in how it relates to identity development for parents or that making that transition into parenthood. Um, If you could, for our listeners, maybe start off with telling us a little bit about what it is that you do. So I do a bunch of things. I My sort of specialist topic is collaboration. That is, how do we work well together? And Mm -hmm. I kind of approach that a few different ways. One is I work with particular teams on how they work well together. So that might be running workshops uh, for for particular teams. And then I also work in leadership development. That would be helping leaders build the skills to face 
a complex and changing world. So how can leaders who are leading teams, I guess, thrive in what is what is a difficult world? And And my approach to all of that comes from having not really from a theoretical point of view but but having worked a lot on as a uh, innovation consultant working on working on creating new products and services and brands so that's like my career right. trajectory but i guess okay i guess yeah i remember when i met you i guess a, back in the day in shanghai you were working in innovation to. with what if yeah right, right exactly yeah. so i was yeah. with innovation okay. and what if and mm-hmm. then and then i guess it kind of collides with my work on innovation has collided with, I guess, a long history of interest in my own personal development mm-hmm. and um, where I find myself at the moment as a new parent. So my other toddler who's two and a half is in a way, it's kind of an interesting place where I'm both kind of looking at how those two things interact. And this is where I'm, I'm in a way an expert guest and in a way a naive guest because as a, you know, I've got this sort of practice with supporting leaders face complex situations and becoming a parent is a complex situation. And so I'm also like, a, am having a go at being a dad, like, like we all have a go at being a dad by diving into it and trying to make it work. And so mm-hmm. I guess that's kind of been an interesting, I get, and I guess that's, yeah. So that's, that's what I do with my time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I guess kind of the perspective I'm bringing a bit in this conversation. Right. Yeah, which I think is is just so interesting, the work that you do with helping leaders and teams to manage change, to kind of go through a transition. And I, from what I understand, you've kind of worked or collaborated on uh, developing a, a change theory model, um, I guess, initially relating to leadership and teams, but which then you found kind of applies also to identity development as a parent yeah well that's definitely right but it kind of it was more like a co-creation between becoming a parent and working with a lot of teams through um, the huge change that was covid and Mm. the rapid move to remote work and everything like that so what happened is through 2020 and 2021 i guess i began to i guess change just became bigger on my agenda And that was both the personal change and also, you know, supporting teams and leaders through change. And I started to think about it a bit more. And there's a lot of really good ways of thinking about change. But I I guess I kind of found a way of thinking about it that sort of felt really resonant to me. Um, Yeah, I think it's, I guess for this conversation, I think it's sort of relevant because it's also the journey I went through becoming a parent and um, I guess settling into being a parent. A change always starts with a trigger that is something changes. And the first phase of change is in the language of the let's go change loop, which is this sort of way of thinking about change is awareness. And awareness is basically when you know that something's going to change, but it hasn't yet hit home yet. Right. So there's a phase of awareness like, okay, things are going to change. But what happens at some point is that that moves from being aware to, to a phase of change of disorientation. And that's when, it, and I don't mean disorientation like a bad feeling. I just mean the old ways of orientating no longer work anymore. Like you, you've, something's changed, so you can't orientate in the same ways. So let's take uh, becoming a parent. Some of the things that 
don't work. You can't orientate in the same way towards, I don't know, the schedule that you had before. You're disorientated, right? Your schedule has been disorientated by the needs and um, and activities of being a parent. So it's really hit, right? So you've got awareness and then you've got disorientation. And this is a phase that can feel bad, but it can also feel exciting because things are up in the air again and new possibilities might emerge. Mm. But at some point, there's a there's a transition moment. And it, the transition moment, I think of it like um, when the weight shifts from one foot to another, it's a really profound shift on some levels, but it's also very subtle. And this is where you move from disorientation to reorientation. And in reorientation, it's like you've glimpsed a possibility of what the changed future looks like. You, you've, you've, and you begin to reorientate around that change. And that's the process of adapting and coming to terms with the change. And it's an ongoing work. It's not like a you don't have a single moment and everything's changed, but you have a moment where you shift from going, wow, everything's feeling like it's falling out of control to, oh no, something's coming back together and we're reorientating. So that's the reorientation phase. And then you reach a phase as that completes, you reach a phase, which in this model we call integration. And integration is really when you're consolidating what you've learned um, because change keeps happening you're basically faced into whatever's going to change next. There's going to be another trigger, which you'll become aware and you'll become aware of that change. You'll become disorientated, reorientated, and then integrated. So it's called the let's go change loop because it goes in a loop. And what that means is when you're disorientated in the phase of disorientation, you'll kind of feel a little bit like you're plummeting and sometimes even going backwards, but actually that's the process of changing and of moving forwards. So that's the sort of, and that emerged from, yes, my experiences of being a parent and also looking at lots of other change models, a bunch of academic research, but also, I guess, also in practice. Because what is a change model for? Like, why do you need one? Well, it's really just to help you see where you are in any moment and maybe also to give you some comfort. Like, disorientation isn't a problem in change. It's the way in which change happens like you have to disorientate before you can reorientate and so when i became a parent and became quite disorientated there was a kind of comfort to know like oh yeah this is how it goes um so so i think that's like a bit of a map overall of this i guess way of looking at change um and yeah and you know i had a very personal road through that becoming a parent and that's partly because i think becoming a parent is always a big change and then I also have my own you know um, me and my partner became pregnant fairly early in on our relationship so it kind of hit at a big it was a big hit and it happened in a pandemic so so some of so some of that might have you know there, there was some big things going on that might have added to a sense of disorientation yeah, no, and, and I think that's such an important point that you make there. And I know something you I've heard you say before about how the disorientation that comes after the change event, which in this case would be the birth of a child, but also the disorientation at, at other stages throughout, you know, transitions during parenthood or during the life of a family that that doesn't indicate something pathological or even problematic, but that disorientation is to be expected when there's been a significant change. Um, and this is something that certainly in 
the research that I've done and, and in my clinical work as well, I've often seen parents feeling like they're supposed to kind of immediately land on their feet after making such a big transition and, and that there shouldn't be any disorientation somehow or that they might kind of almost try to conceal that or deny it if they are feeling disoriented. Um, and so I think that's such an important point that like, yes, tremendous change is disorienting. That's just part of how we yeah. function as humans. And it doesn't mean that anything is wrong. And I think another thing to say is that, you know, in the awareness phase, like we knew we were pregnant, right? So we were, we were aware and we were in that phase where we were thinking, well, what can we do now to get ready for this big change? So we did that antenatal classes. We read a few books. We talked to other parents about their experiences. We bought some equipment and all of this was good work to do in the awareness phase. But in a way, the other thing to say about change is you're in the phase you're in. And so you can't do the awareness phase. The, the awareness phase doesn't necessarily... It's like preparation. It's, it's preparation, but it doesn't necessarily right. stop the disorientation phase being disorientating. And I think that's one of the things that people said it at the time when we were, you know, when we were pregnant and there was conversations about, wow, you, you know, it's really going to hit you. But everyone who's been through it kind of knows that no amount of preparation you do is enough that it won't be disorientating to become a parent you know you have this little life who's there all the time and and i think in a way that's again the natural order of things you can do an awareness phase really well and it doesn't stop a disorientation phase arriving and also i think another thing to say is that it's also and i think this is true you know i think i i kind of knew this but i also think it's good to remember a disorientation phase is always followed by a reorientation phase. Like you, you always find your feet in a way like that's sort of also part of the nature of change. So whilst yes, you can be disorientated, like there's something to say where, and Mrs. Maybe I think I'm talking to both myself and, uh, and to others as well, which is like, hold in there because you you all you know there's a trend there, there comes points of transition where actually things start to make sense again and I think that's as true as it is that you're always disorientated is that that always ends as well like you, you humans are pretty adaptive we're, we're good at change if we let ourselves be and if we don't I guess create a drama about being in the particular phase we're in that you will eventually get to a reorientation one way or another. Um, yeah. With whatever you feel comfortable about sharing, I mean, would you be kind of willing to share some with listeners about as a father and, you know, as an individual, what yeah. some of that disorientation and reorientation was like for you? I think all the stuff in advance, I was very concerned with all the practicalities. Mm. I was thinking about, you know, how is it to look after a baby? And how do you think about that? And what's, you know, what sort of time is it going to take? What's it going to need from me? But also, what will be the feeding regime? And how will we navigate that together? And, you know, as well, how will the birth be? And how will I be supportive in the birth? And, um, and all of that. But I think a the thing... Practical questions around yeah, this, like, I, how know, do we do this? <laughs> Yeah. And I guess that, that felt like the most important question to ask, like, how do we do it? And I think what was actually more disorientating for me was a question, something like, well, who am I? 
I think, you know, we hadn't been that long together. And so, so we've, we were pregnant after about, um, uh, I think we'd known, known each other for like four months or three months. So this is quick. And we were really confident in our relationship and we, you know, we were excited about it, but I think we were also maybe, you know, it was a big change and we were going through other changes like, you know, moving in together and all of these kind of things. So, but that disorientation was, was something a bit more existential for me. And, you know, I'd always prided myself on, it was also, we were also doing it in a pandemic. So I was used to being, or like traditionally used to being out and about meeting lots of people, doing lots of exciting things, you know, new projects, creative projects and all of this. And, and so that disorientation for me so yeah I guess a question like who am I now and and I found it very easy I mean it, in a way I, I I didn't um I never really struggled with my daughter like I I sort of knew you know she, she seemed really cool <laughs> I liked mm-hmm. her a lot and that was like pretty that was pretty smooth for me but I, I had a lot of big questions about myself like and and I found it easy to to know that I was her dad but like I also found a question like what does it mean to be a dad it felt a bit like dissolving into dadness it felt a bit like giving up maybe a sort of self story I had about my individuality and my like uniqueness and so I actually found that quite tough to come to terms with and you know, and we also had other pressures going on, um, some family pressures and the COVID stuff. And so, so you know, I, I think the support that I normally would have had around me, like the processing that I normally would have had with others was sort of not there as much either. And I think as well, this, the role in those early months, I think the role of a dad is and certainly is in the cultural understanding a supportive role and not so much necessarily a role that needs support and that I think you you know I think I didn't find it easy to ask for support I didn't really know where to get support from it didn't really feel like you know there was just a lot of questions for me and I think that was very destabilizing to to something like my sense of well who am I in the world and I don't know, it's kind of difficult to talk about it because I think not because it's that, not because it's raw or something like that, but because I don't even know if I've got the right words for describing what essentially was a big soup of feelings and ideas and everything. But but I think what I would say, and I think is very easy to say, is that it was disorientating. No, oh, and it's it's interesting how you use that word, uh, the words dissolving into dadness. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And the thing that I can't help but come to mind, and I don't know if this is like not a great image for talking about the transition to parenthood, but I'm currently reading uh, Pema Chodron's latest book, which is kind of about applying some of the teachings of the Tibetan Book of the Dead to transition. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, of course, becoming a parent is not at all like dying. Um, But, you know, the last stage that is is part of transition, according 
to the Tibetan Book of the Dead is the the dissolving of consciousness, and that's the word that's used is dissolving. Yeah. Um, and I think when we apply some of that teaching to other transitions, there is kind of a dissolving of the old into the new. Yeah. You know, of all right, whatever was before, kind of rich as someone who was not a dad um yeah th- that doesn't exist anymore and that there's now the new um a person who is a father uh, but that part of being a father is also maintaining a sense of self so it's kind of been redefining what is that sense of self within the father identity yeah and i think that's in and ultimately i think that in this um you know disorientation to reorientation is some of those are the realizations right the the realization you know i think there's another thing to say and i don't think this i don't think this i was aware of this because i wasn't thinking about identity i was thinking about practicalities and so then when these identity questions hit me i wasn't really ready for them no one had told me about that or maybe they had and i hadn't listened but what i began to see as well was was a lot of new possibilities for me you know I think as I let's say in this way thinking about what was what helped me to reorientate was that that me as a dad actually had there was a kind of groundedness to that that maybe I'd been that maybe I'd been missing in other you know in the old identity and Mm -hmm. and there's a kind of solidarity that comes from being a dad that's all around you like to walk around London pushing a pram is to be looked at like I have never been looked at before, like with a kind of warmth and a kind of reaching out towards. Now, I think there are valid critiques of the receptions, the difference in receptions that fathers and mothers get when they're doing the normal work of being a parent. And I think that's a good, you know, we can be critical that mm-hmm. that how much, you know, what sort of credit is available for a dad doing the basics of just, you know, well, and, and I appreciate you acknowledging that, um, but it's, I think it's also, you know, still valid to talk about that there's right. a sense of solidarity and, and connectedness, perhaps and, with and other I, parents in general. And, and other people. And I also think that's mm-hmm. a solidarity and connectedness that walking around as a man, you don't get extended towards you, really, like mm-hmm. by anyone so so I think there's also like there was also opening up all these new in a way new possibilities that you know that that were kind of nourishing and I think I guess like the death I think the point is the death isn't a death to your sense of self the death is a death to a rigid attachment to how you thought about your sense of self and and again I guess you know I'm I'm 40 years old uh, so I was, became a dad, what, 38, 39, something like that. I saw a bit of a blur. But but like, you know, I'm pretty kind of established in how I thought about myself. And I think I wasn't really ready for the amount of, you know, the amount of movement that happened in how I thought about myself. And And I don't know whether that's about my, you know, the type of personality I am or whether that's about being a man or whether that's about being older or of that age rather than of younger or whatever it is but in a way I guess it doesn't matter what is true is that I had quite a disorientating experience um you know and how much is to do with covid how much to do with was whatever else we were facing being kind of you know but then you know the 
process of reorientation. And of course, what's also happening through this transition time is um, a little person who used to be a little gurgling blob starts to become interactive, beautiful, like glorious expression of human life. And that itself is transformative. So, so I also think, I also think that, that my daughter becoming more of who she was and, and emerging fully also, you know, that's kind of reorientating because you have this, it's not just, it's not just an internal process identity. It's happening in, you know, and my, you know, I've got a wonderful partner who's really supportive. And so our, you know, our relationship as well was reorientating and, and all of that. And there was quite a bit of transition there. Yeah. And, you know, and we were trans. Yeah. And I think that's another way you could also look at, you could also use this lens to look at the transition in our relationship, which of course always transitions through a big change anyway. So we, there's a number of layers to this, but I guess, you know, we, we sort of wanted to talk a bit about identity and, you know, and a bit in general about change, but we could also apply this to like, how did we navigate our relationship together? You know, the old ways of orientating together didn't work anymore because we had new things to do. And so there was a sort of, you know, disorientation and a, a beginning of reorientation towards who not just I am as a dad, but who we are as parents and who we are as a family, right? That's also a new, a new thing. Uh, it was certainly new for us. And and I think this is where, you know, what's the, the traditional advice would be something like, you know, get to know someone, start dating, get engaged, get married, have a baby, you know, and, and, and I would say, of course, those things will support, you know, there's some, some extra support available there potentially. Um, well, although I might uh, to play devil's advocate a little bit, I might yeah. say that some of those traditions might be kind of tradi- traditions according to whom, because yeah. probably if we look at human history, it's much more common that we might be just <laughs> kind of thrown into partnership with someone. And after, yeah. you know, a year or a little while, then there's also a child. Um, yeah. you know, the, the notion of people taking years to get to know each other and build a life together and all of that, it is in many ways kind of a, a modern luxury. Um, yeah. but that isn't yeah, no, probably I, the I, way I, human history has gone. I, I really, so hear maybe that, you actually. did things a traditional way. No, yeah, right. It's I'm more traditional. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's why. Um, that, no, I like that. I think, I, I mean, I think what is true and you know, what, one of the thing that I think was an anchor point through all of this is, is actually, you know, we felt really, you know, we, f- we felt really grounded in this experience we were having together. And I think, and, and that's, and that's even through the ups and downs of that, you know, I think, you, you know, I, I, I don't want to, it's been interesting to me because I think, I think I would have, I would have thought that the most important thing would have been that process wasn't so enjoyable for me, but enjoyment wasn't the primary thing that was necessary you know like it was actually well, what it was was grounded in a commitment and grounded in the commitment to each other and into a commitment to our daughter and that was also a, a there were times when I was sort of able to see this more clearly and times when I was not so able to see it so clearly but you know even 
if I look at it now and I reflect now, like that disorientation process was probably really good for me. Mm. That transition was probably a transition that I needed to go through. Um, yeah. well, and I don't I'm think that's just... in this is that there's yeah. really a sense of rebirth kind of for, you know, oh, right. rebirth for yourself as Death a father. and rebirth. Yeah. And that, but, I mean, I okay, guess maybe it, that's to... not fun in the <laughs> traditional sense of the word, you know, it's not pleasurable, but that there is some struggle around it, but that ultimately yeah. it's, it's something that's beautiful and worthwhile. Right. And I think that's definitely, that's sort of how I would make sense of it, you know, and, and and actually maybe the the point is, and this is um the work of uh, Professor John Vaveki uh talks a bit about uh, from the University of Toronto, and he he talks a bit about how becoming he says being a parent is not enjoyable but meaningful. And I think that meaningfulness is also I think also should be an anchor point. And I I think too maybe too much of society we're judging experiences through the lens of enjoyableness or pleasurableness mm -hmm. and actually meaningfulness might be a you know sometimes a more appropriate um assessment and and I think that's you know but it's fine to say that in the abstract but then to experience that can be quite challenging and I think that's when you know the question that you get asked a lot as a parent or that I got asked a lot was like how's it going and the the answer didn't feel possible to say which was it's I, something's really disorient. I'm completely disorientated. I don't know which way up is, and I don't, I don't necessarily have the kind of presence of mind to say something like, "Oh, this is all part of the process of becoming a parent," because it feels like things are falling apart a little. And so, I guess that what would I guess why am I saying all this? I'm saying it because the experience, the depth of the experience that I had of becoming a parent, isn't easy to put into words, and it wasn't put into words for me. So I wasn't in a way ready for it. But I think the the more, you know, you talk to any parent and they're like, yeah, that's how it is. And I think that is a kind of, we, we maybe don't have a good shared language for it, but I think we should expect it. And again, I, we're talking about the birth of a child and that's of course a change, but I think we should probably be thinking about it for other big changes that are gonna come at you fast as a parent. No, and that's that's such a good point that the change continues, you know, and, and that's something that uh, I guess for me as a parent has at times been surprising how it's almost like continually you have this new child in front of you, you know, that one day you realize the baby is gone and the toddler is there. And then one day you realize the toddler is gone and the preschooler, preschooler is there and then, you know, and so on. Um, and there is just kind of this transit continual transition and yeah. I guess it's kind of like what's that old statement something like it's, I, I think it we'll get there but it's okay so you hold a sword like you hold a baby bird not so tight mm -hmm. that you squash it and not so loose that it flies away and I think mm -hmm. that's how that's the I can't remember who says it but that's something mm -hmm. about how you hold a sword right mm -hmm. but it's probably also how you hold a child um mm -hmm. you know want to offer this sort of security and you want to hold on to what you have but also not so hard that you don't allow the movement and the freedom of the different phases and um, stages of a changed life well could I ask a little bit as we're kind of um, getting into wrapping up just you know one more question I would have would be to understand you know even on the practical level with whatever you're yeah. 
willing to share about, you know, kind of how this identity development as that was happening, how you came to understand perhaps your own self-care or your own self-prioritization in a new way. Yeah, I don't know if I've got lots of wisdom about this. Um, (laughs) My experience was something like the value of a few good friends to mm-hmm. to sort of talk uh at different times i was speaking to a therapist every week or every couple of weeks and that was super helpful for me really really practically um you know because of the pandemic it sort of put all sorts of restrictions on our lives that made some things some things hard like talking to friends like and um, but one of the things that it made hard was exercising like I was, you know, before having a kid, I was exercising a lot. And then when we had a kid, that all sort of vanished. And I, you know, I don't think I, for whatever reason, wasn't able to hold on to that as a priority for me. But when I began to, like, I have a yoga practice. And when I began to do my yoga practice again, I felt way better. <laughs> and it was better for everyone. And oh, my goodness, we, my partner wishes I had like prioritized it sooner. And I think but, you know, I, it was also hard to sort through what was a priority and what wasn't. I knew that things were different, but actually what was a priority and what wasn't wasn't so easy for me to to discern. And, you know, I would now advise everyone to prioritize, you know, movement. I think the body is Physical so important. Physical movement. Yeah. Physical movement, like, you so know, whatever that is and however that works. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the other thing, you know, as part of that one of the things that I absolutely loved and I loved really from early on was carrying uh, my daughter on my chest like that process of of it gave me much you know and that thing we haven't spoken about so much but is it was definitely going on is kind of this role of dad like what is it and how useful are you around and but I think I think that you know, was such an anchor point for me, you know, every morning for like two hours, I would just go out walking with, um, with my daughter. And it was just amazing. And I, you know, that was a time of grounding and connecting and, you know, it's physical contact and it's movement and it's all of that, but it's also, it's also, you know, it's also getting a grip on the role of caregiver, which maybe isn't one that I naturally fitted into. Or I didn't, I didn't have a lot of practice of it, and I didn't know how it worked to some degree. I found that not so straightforward. So I think there was a bit that of a actual mix of all of physical that. adaptation to it. Yeah, by but it was also kind of. It didn't require anything. I didn't require. It didn't require figuring out. I didn't need any good insights on it. I just carried her around, and she seemed to like it, and I seemed to like it, and it was very simple. And that sort of anchoring to the very simple act of wearing her and moving with her felt really good and you know and then like I said a, a few good friends uh, some conversations with a therapist you know time with my partner when we were able to kind of get our um get ourselves straight was also super helpful um so I think all of that but you know probably the biggest thing is like the passing of time and the development of 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 her daughter like I found um you know I I, I don't know if it's stereotypically but you know I found a much I found it increasingly engaging and that increasing engagement made a big difference to how I felt like I could relate to her. Um, It sounds like there was the 
continued practice of parenting that was happening through the time that helped in the formation of identity that this is who I am now. Do you know, I um, I have one moment that really resonates with me. And mm-hmm. that was, we were at my partner's parents and our daughter needed to be fed. And I just had this deep embodied sense that I knew what she needed. And I think that's harder to get when you're just a couple because you know that there's the mother who has all this going on and, and a, is spending so much you know time with her and knows everything that she needs but it was in this different context with grandparents who deeply deeply loved her but they didn't know what she needed and I did and that was so I you know I don't know what it says about me that I needed that I needed to know that I had this role and that I you know that my perspective was there and that I really remember that as like um as a moment for me where I remember just feeling really proud that yeah I'm doing this you know and I think that's I kind of like to be competent at things and I had to come to terms with being incompetent at this and that isn't an easy experience for me so you know that's my own stuff like I like to do things really well and I couldn't do parenting really well and in fact I'm not I might now not even assess well as the right measure of parenting yeah well it sounds like that's the moment of really realizing you were or perhaps had developed a sense of efficacy as a father what we might call parental efficacy um that is is something i found in in the research i did that not always but quite often there is sort of like a flashbulb moment of recognizing oh now i have this sense of efficacy as a parent that i can do this Uh, Versus maybe before that, it felt a little bit more cloudy or amorphous or uncertain of, you know, can I do this? And that was a moment where you realize, yes, actually, I I do know how to do this. Um, And it's, of course, you know, very affirming when you have that moment of of knowing your own efficacy there. Of course, you know, we all have still our continuing um, struggles or imperfections, but that that development of efficacy and competence in what we're doing, uh, I think can be tremendously helpful in the reorientation. Uh, I also hear there uh, the theme of of the importance of community to you and interdependence on others were tremendously helpful as well, which is something that I find, you know, in these conversations kind of emerges again and again as just so valuable that we don't do this all on our own. Um, that even when it feels like maybe that we're alone in the room with our child, still the development of a parent is something that happens really most effectively within a community. Yeah. And that I think mm. COVID really hits hit. And mm. and I don't think COVID really hit I, um, our daughter's development at all. She was mm-hmm. happy as anything to just have us around. Mm. But I think it's to become a new parent in that context was was something something that you the kind of support that you can get and that you can access is different when you're locked in a house just as a family versus when you're um active in community and in relationships and things like that so yeah it certainly takes a village as as they say yeah exactly well thank you so much for coming here today to to share with us about all of your experiences and about especially kind of how the model of transition even applies directly in your own life and perhaps kind of came out of some of those experiences. 
um, I so appreciate it. And I think there's a lot of us that will find this really useful to, to hear from what you went through and, and how we can apply that to our own experiences. My pleasure. Thanks for, okay. thanks for conversation. You know, it's, it's also true that, you know, even talking about this is kind of quite a useful process just to say, mm -hmm. well, how was it for you? And I think that mm -hmm. question, like, okay, so you became a parent, how was it for you? Like that process is again, a process that I think is really valuable in and of itself, separate to, mm -hmm. you know, the kind of what it, I, I guess that's the point is, is that I always thought of people sharing their parenting experience as something like, oh, wow, this is a place where I get ideas from. But actually, it's something more like, oh, wow, this is just what we do together. We share our experiences of what it was like for us. And that in itself is an act, is, is something. And, you know, you, it, that feels like a, a really valuable thing to be happening, but not for its, um, not for the content necessarily, just even for the, just for, just for the solidarity for the yeah. and the process of like saying, this yeah. is, you know, this is me. This is what it was for me. So, yeah, mm. I, I see that as well. Exactly. Well, thank you again. Pleasure. Okay. I so appreciate the candidness Rich was willing to bring to this conversation. I find it's really useful in giving greater context to our own experiences. It can just be such a relief to know that it is to be expected when we struggle through a change. And in fact, this is something that can indicate that we are growing that there's development and progress happening. When I talk about this with clients or colleagues, I always have this image come to mind of a butterfly struggling around to free itself from a cocoon. And so in the image, yes, there is physical struggle, but then the result is something very beautiful, something that really we couldn't even have imagined in just looking at the cocoon. And I hope that it can be this way for us as well, that when we struggle as parents, we're growing in order to emerge from this struggle more beautifully. Hearing from others on how they have thought about or managed a transition is such an important part of how we learn. And this is something that became all the more real to me towards the end of my time living in Shanghai when I conducted research on American women who became mothers while living there about how it is to make a transition when we're living outside of, about how it is to make this transition while living outside of one's home culture, about how it was to make this transition while they were living outside of their home culture. And in fact, as an aside, it was while doing that research that someone first suggested to me that I turn the narratives I had collected into a podcast. So that's where that little podcast seed was planted, which I guess to an extent is what I'm doing now in this further collection of ideas and stories on self-care and parenting. In any case, there was also some sense while I was doing this research of making meaning of my own experiences in the transition to motherhood as I'm also an American woman who became a mother while living in Shanghai and in fact I had done so just 15 months before I had started the research. 
In collecting these stories, I found such an interesting variety of experiences among the women that I interviewed. Some had struggled with being so far from family during the time that they were becoming mothers. Others had found it actually kind of freeing to feel that they were outside of some of the societal norms or structures that they had grown up with, and that from this they could explore and develop consciously as a parent. Others had found support through other mothers or other parents in the international community who were having similar experiences around the same time. It brought me to think about my own social learning, my own development of efficacy as a mother, similar to what Rich described today in kind of these light bulb moments where we might feel like, oh, all right, maybe I'm going to be able to do this. Clearly, the development of the sense of efficacy can, in and of itself, be such a reducer of stress. Many things feel easier when we have a sense of confidence about doing them. And to loop back to our original discussion about change, the target seems to always be moving when it comes to having a sense of parental efficacy as our children change. We have to continually adapt what it means to feel effective at parenting. And perhaps this is also where it can mean that our ways of bringing awareness to our self-care, the ways in which we address our own wants and needs, might continually change as well. What feels critical to our self-care, critical to our needs, at one point in time could be entirely different the following month or even week. And so we have to bring this continual review of our awareness at different stages about what's most important, what we need most, and then we're modeling this also for our children about how we adapt at different times. This brings me to introducing our topic actually for next time in a bonus New Year's episode, where we'll explore together reviewing our year, how we might bring a sense of creativity and intentionality into the coming year. I'll be uploading on my website forteclots.com, a PDF journal guide for this soon. And then in 2023, we'll kick off the year with a special series on creativity and self-care, where I'll be speaking with guests in the creative and artistic professions. So stay tuned for that. Lots of exciting things ahead. Thank you all again for joining me here today. I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you along with me on this journey. As always, I welcome your feedback and your questions. Please let me know what you want to hear about. Contact info is in the show notes. And also don't hesitate to share this episode with anyone you think would benefit from it. We'll be back next time with more.